Hey, this is Robbie Baseball from the Dingers Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 151, Star Trek Movie Review. Chris McBride, along with caveman Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. You'll find us on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM for Derek and at C McBride for me. And of course, popgoesyourworld.com is our website where you'll find all of our contact information. Derek, what's new in the world of pop culture for you, my friend? Hey, Chris. Uh, well, it wouldn't be a week... Uh, in pop culture, unless I had another documentary to tell you about. Oh, of course, yes. Seem, seems that th- these are quickly becoming my uh, my prominent genre of choice. I mean, I've always liked a good documentary. Oh, me but, too. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, um, A&E, the Arts Entertainment Channel. Uh, had, I didn't even know that was still a thing. It is still a thing wow. for those of us that actually have cable still. Oh uh, ha- they do they do various specials and documentaries from time to time. And so they had been promoting that they did two new music-related documentaries that were going to be airing in early September. One was about Ozzy Osbourne. Which I recorded and haven't watched yet. Nice. And then the other one was about the rise and fall of MTV. And oh, so wow. I, that one I did watch. It was called I Want My MTV. Oh, now that's a good I, title. For as it. someone who loves 80s music and loves, loves, loves music videos, mm-hmm. anything to do with MTV, especially like when they were in their heyday, when they're actually showing music videos, I am all in no matter what. So I've actually seen my fair share of documentaries or specials about like MTV and, and, and some of the, the ups and downs. So again, I I wasn't coming into this documentary completely blind, but it was exceptionally well done. It was, it, I mean, it ran in a two hour time slot with commercials. So the, the, the whole doc is probably about 90 minutes all said. And it was fantastic. It it did a lot of behind the scenes stuff in interviews with people now where they would retell stories about how things happened. And it's clear that this was made probably in the last year, um, possibly even during COVID, because like all of the interviews are just the person sitting by themselves. Like there's nobody else around. They're they're clearly in their homes. And um, no, it was really, really good. And I I, I learned a lot about the business side of MTV and the, 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 the problems and the challenges they had. And one of the things that I thought this documentary did really well that we, we hadn't seen in previous documentaries was the emphasis, um, in, in part of the documentary about inclusion at MTV and about how, you know, originally it was a lot of young white people. So you had music that the young white people were programming. And then there was a lot of pushback from various communities and people of color saying there's not enough women. There's not enough people of color. You don't have any of the the rap artists. You don't have any of the soul artists. You don't have any of the country artists. Um, and so th- they really uh, did a good job. I mean, that's not what the whole documentary is about, but they spent a good 10 or 15 minutes talking about that. And there were some legitimate concerns um, that, that they had all sorts of footage from the eighties where there were, these things were discussed. And in many cases, 
it was sort of, you know, it was disgusting even just to hear some of the attitudes. And when they interviewed the people now, a lot of them were like, yeah, we, we look back on those things with a lot of shame and embarrassment about how some of this stuff was handled and, you know, it's good on them for at least being able to acknowledge it now, but kind of crappy that it took 35 years for them to sort of realize that. But, uh, all in all, it's great. And the music, the eighties music soundtrack through the whole documentary, it's fantastic. So if you're at all into eighties music, music videos, you want to know about MTV, how it grew as a network, how it got like it originally started as an, as an offshoot of Nickelodeon, which I had no idea. Um, and, uh, no, a lot, there was a lot of really, really good behind the scenes stuff. A lot of very candid footage from the day. And, uh, yeah, I strongly recommend it. Very if cool. you've got cable, it's probably going to be repeated on any, or if, if your cable provider is anything like mine, I get on demand services. Once something's been shown on, uh, on a channel I pay for, I can go back and watch some in demand stuff. So, um, yeah, it's called, I want my MTV strongly encourage you to take a look for it. It was really good. Nice. I got a lot of stuff to cover here. Okay. All right. Okay. So the first thing is a couple weeks ago, if you remember, my wife and I came down and we spent some time with you and your wife and we had a great time and we were playing some games. One of the games that you introduced us to was a game called Quicks. It had to do with dice where we were rolling the dice and playing the game. So my wife actually bought that uh, since we got back because we enjoyed it. And my kids absolutely love it. They just love it. So I want to say thank you for introducing us uh, to that. Uh, So that's that's one thing. That's Uh, the Quicks Q-W-I-X-X. It comes in a little orange box. Yes. Like between 10 and 15 bucks. It's a very affordable game. It's very easy to learn. It's family friendly, um, but it can get pretty competitive if your players are very competitive. And it's a really good one to play if you've had a few beverages because it's not all that difficult to master. And my kids just make me play it. We play it during breakfast. Like we're playing it all the time right now. They just love it. Second thing I want to mention is uh, it's video game related. Um, I just want to start by saying that getting old sucks. Uh, (laughs) There was a time when getting injured playing sports was a thing for me. Now getting injured playing Wii sports is a thing for me. I was playing a Wii tournament with my youngest son. We were playing bicycle racing and fencing and I pulled a muscle in my arm. Playing Wii Sports. God, I'm getting old and it sucks. Oh, man. Are, just, are you able to adjust your online avatar to put like a cast on his arm so that it reflects your real life person? I guess I should probably do that. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention, I re, re, um, you actually kind of brought me to this to my attention that this actually was a thing and existed. So I went online and I sought it out and I bought it and it came in the mail and it is a mask. You know, we all have to wear masks now. And it's a mask that says Spaceballs the face mask. Nice. And everybody, nice. everywhere that I wear this thing, people just love it. Like the people that know it, they just get it. You know, oh, of course. it's the merchandising from, from Spaceballs. But so there's a couple of things, but it's not the most important thing. So the most important thing that I want to mention is, you know, if you remember last week we had uh, Robbie Baseball on our show. It was a great show. But something major happened between last week's show and this week's show. We celebrated a major event around the podcast this week. It was Caveman's birthday last week. So big happy birthday to you, my friend. To manage to take one more trip around the sun on this thing we call the planet Earth. Uh, The year's been crazy, but uh, we get by. We do what we can. Well, you're getting older and, uh, you know, when you get older, you get lamer. So uh, uh, here we go. It's time for here's your dad joke of the week. Okay. So I figured since we're reviewing 
Star Trek tonight, that I would give you a Star, Star Trek dad joke. Oh, my God. I think I already know where you're going with this. So, Keep going. So yes. here, here goes. Derek, what did Spock find in Kirk's toilet? I know, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> the captain's log. Oh, God. I thought that was funny. You realize our target demographic is 11-year-olds, right? <laughs> They're not six. Don't get me wrong. I like a good fart joke as much as the next guy, even more than the next guy, but come on. <laughs> I love that joke. I think it's hilarious. Star Trek could always see into the future, couldn't they? What do you have that we can slap Star Trek logos onto? Shatner's hair. The toys that made us. The TJ Hooker hair. TJ Hooker. I can have auxiliary power back in a few minutes. Yeah, no, I I, I really like it. Con! Why don't I give you a quick scan to make sure you're okay? Kirk got around a little bit. Go. Do you need a tranquilizer? Oh my God. Okay, so recently we actually have discussed Star Trek on the podcast here. I, I mentioned to you how I used to love watching the original series as a seven and eight year old boy. I used to come home from school, play road hockey with my friends as a good Canadian. And then from five o'clock till six o'clock, I would watch Star Trek on TV. Now, this was back in the late 70s. So the show was on in reruns, obviously. I also used to have Star Trek communicators and I had a bunch of the action figures. They were basically just Barbie dolls with Star Trek heads on them. And then I also like Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. But other than that, I'll be honest, like I never really liked any of the other Star Trek stuff that was out there in the pop culture universe. I didn't like the, the original motion picture. And I'll be honest, I've never seen a single other Star Trek movie other than Wrath of Khan. Um, I've never seen an episode of The Next Generation or... Deep Space Nine or Babylon 5 or whatever the heck they're all called. But um, in an attempt to enlighten me in regard to newer pop culture, Derek, you had me watch the 2009 movie Star Trek by J.J. Abrams. So, Derek, is it safe to say like you're a bit of a Trekkie? Is that? Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm a super. I've mentioned many times on this show before. I'm a big nerd on a lot of things. And when it comes to science fiction movies and science fiction uh, books, like I, I'm all in on sci fi and fantasy. The, those are my two favorite genres of uh, fantasy when it comes to literature and sci fi when it comes to movies, but certainly overlap on both of those. Huge Star Wars fans, huge Star Trek fan. I've watched all the iterations of the show that have ever come out. Uh, I've enjoyed enjoyed them all to varying levels. Um, I've, I've seen all the Star Trek movies. Uh, I never really got into the, into the fiction so much. There were a few novels I read here and there, but because there was so much, um, on TV, like Star Trek next generation ran seven seasons with probably 20 to 25 episodes a season. So you got a lot of shows. You had the Star Trek original series. It had what, like 60 or 70 episodes. Yeah. It was only like three Uh, seasons long. So, so the next generation ran like twice as long as the original. Yeah. Deep space nine, I think ran seven seasons. Voyager ran like six seasons. Enterprise ran three seasons. So there was this wealth of Star Trek pop culture available. I never felt I needed to go to the novels to get that fixed. Whereas with star Wars, you had Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. And that was it. And if you wanted more Star Wars, you had to go to the comic books and the novels. And and then eventually they did like the Clone Wars cartoons and they did the prequels. But when I was growing up, I was big into like the Star Wars novels, but Star Trek less so just because there was so much stuff already available. But yeah. 
Well, Long answer to your short question of yes, huge Star Trek fan right here. Well, I guess without getting too deep into the movie just just yet, maybe you can just talk about like why did you feel it was necessary for me to watch this remake of, sure. of the series? So you often uh, are quite critical of Hollywood's desire to take an existing franchise or intellectual property IP, as it's often called, and try to cash in on it again, and in some cases again and again and again and again. But in all honesty, Star Trek's been doing this since the 80s when they decided to put out the movies and then the late 80s when they started putting out the new TV shows. Like Star Trek has been doing a very good job of of reinventing itself and staying relevant to the fans. Uh, sometimes fans have been very accepting. Sometimes there's been uh, some pushback, but Star Trek is a huge revenue generator for Paramount and and has been since it premiered in the 60s. Uh, well, at least since the 70s, since the movies came out. Um, so although this is, yes, uh, it is a reboot uh, or a reimagining. Again, we'll get into it when we talk more about the movie. It does revisit uh, the characters that launch Star Trek. It's Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock and Lieutenant Uhura and and Scotty and Dr. McCoy. It's all of the original characters, quote unquote, reimagined or rebooted. And again, we'll talk about more, that more specifically. But in a way, it, it almost felt like it was time. Like we've we've always had some presence of Star Trek in pop culture. And there was like decades where there was always a new Star Trek something on TV or in the theater. And then through like the 2000 to 2010s, there wasn't. Like the 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 last show to run was Enterprise and it was off the air. Uh, the last of the movies featuring the Next Generation uh, cast, I think the last one was in the, the very late 90s or maybe even the early 2000s. So there was like this Star Trek void. And – like any great intellectual property, when there's money to be made, someone will find a way to start that cash machine running again. But when you have such a huge and extremely loyal fan base, which you would expect that they're going to try and do it a service. They're going to try and do it right. Because the last thing you want to do is tick off that fan base as the Star Wars people learned very quickly when they did Phantom Menace. It's like, you know, you took what everybody loved and you bastardized it to a point where you lost a lot of fans and your franchise lost an incredible amount of, of credibility. And so I think with Star Trek, they, they try to learn from what we'll call their, their, you know, their, their nearest competitor had not done very well. And they went, let's look at this in a way that we can, we can, retain that audience that already likes Star Trek and try and introduce it to an audience that hasn't had that opportunity over the last decade to get to know Star Trek uh, through any means other than, say, reruns, which I got to think today's youth is not going back to watch reruns um, when they can get a two-hour action movie. So with all of that being said and knowing that you have a fondness for the original Star Trek series and the original characters that are from that series, I wanted you to take a look at this particular reboot. Now, I know you're predisposed to not liking reboots, so I'm, right. I'm very much expecting that you're going to have a lot of harsh criticisms. But I'm hoping that there will at least be some saving graces once I explain half the movie to you because I'm sure you're going to be totally lost. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. With that, I always need lots of explaining, how don't I? Am I to, to that prediction? Yeah, uh, pretty close. Well, as I mentioned, coming into this movie, my enjoyment of Star Trek, you know, was basically the original series and the Wrath of Khan. And after seeing this movie, my enjoyment of the Star Trek consists of the original series and the Wrath of Khan. 
<laughs> so this this movie is for me the perfect example of the difference between Gen X pop culture and millennial pop culture. So it's going to be a great podcast to talk about because if, if you start with the original TV series, so the show, although it takes place in outer space, it isn't really so much about science fiction as right. you as you might think. It, it's it's really social commentary. Yeah, it's it's more anthropology. Yeah. Like it's about ideals and philosophy, right? And this new version of Star Trek is all about nonstop action and overblown visuals. And it's basically just an onslaught of the senses. And for me, that's what millennial pop culture is all about. But that's not what Star Trek is all about. So I just. That's I, not what your Star Trek Yeah. That's, I, a, that's an important distinction. I, you can still be under the Star Trek umbrella and like anything else in pop culture or in life, it needs to change with the times. And I, we'll talk about this more through the course of the show, but I personally think this was a, a great way to, to update what was a original and fantastic idea and move it into today's lens and open it up to a new audience in a way that they would be more accepting of it. So anyway, sorry, I'll go that, back to you. No, that's fine. I I just I disagree. I wish that they'd stop remaking these Gen X staples and turning them into these big splashy, overblown, crappy movies that they try to update the material for a modern audience. Instead, I just I wish they'd just allow today's audience, or I wish today's audience would have the you know the wherewithal to go back and watch the original and enjoy it for what it was. And I think if you want to make a big, splashy science fiction action adventure film, then go ahead and do that. But just come up with original characters and original concept and leave the Gen X stuff alone. But if you do, and we've talked about this before, if you take original ideas and original concepts, there's always the chance that your movie or your 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 project will not be successful and will not generate revenue. And at the end of the day, Entertainment, like anything else, is all about dollars and cents. And by leaning on an existing IP, you have built in you have a built-in audience, which usually represents built-in dollars. And it's a much safer prospect for the people putting the money up in the first place. In this count, in this case, Paramount. So again, whether or not you like that pra- that practice, that business practice, it is a very practical way to ensure that, um, that you're, you know, for the investors, for them to get a return on their investment. So I, I don't begrudge them. I mean, it, like you, it bums me out sometimes when they do them poorly. Uh, but the redoing, if they're going to redo them, they've got to give, it's like when you do a cover song in music. If, if I take my favorite song from 20 years ago and I'm a band now and I want to record it or, or perform it, you don't, I don't want to perform it exactly like the original. If I want to hear the original, I'll just listen to the original. You, I want to make it my own. I want to put some spin on it so that people hearing it now are going to think, well, that's a song from 20 years ago, but it sounds like it's a song from today. And I think this Star Trek is a good example of it's got the flavor of the old one. It's got the characters of the old one. It's got the recognition factor of the old one, but it's got so much of today in it. And I, I, I like this. I think this is one of the very good examples of how you update a, a franchise but then by, by that mentality then hollywood today is just a glorified bar band playing cover absolutely tunes, yeah you know? no i i don't uh, that's uh, that's a very good analogy i give you i'll agree with that 100 percent. 
And, and like you were saying, like, like I understand why they do it. I understand the business model, but it's just like, why not come up with an original idea and let it stand on its own merit? If it's too good enough, too much risk. Yeah. It's just crazy. I, okay. A cu- couple of things I want to say before we start breaking down this movie, the whole idea for me of the warp speed stuff, I thought it was stupid and, and, and it happens a lot in this movie. And I guess for me, the whole point of seeing the enterprise travel slowly was the fact that I know this sounds corny, but it allowed you to marvel at the the expanse of space and the wonder of outer space. And here, it just felt like it was all about getting to the next action sequence as fast as they possibly, as quickly as they could. You know, and and, and for me at least, it, it runs contrary to what Star Trek is all about. It runs contrary to the Star Trek yes. you know. <laughs> of course. I'm gonna keep emphasizing that. Yeah. This can still be Star Trek, but it's the new. Star Trek, not to be confused with the next generation of Star this, Trek. This is, as they, as they always say, this isn't your grandfather's Star Trek. I'm a grandfather. Exactly. It, I mean, it is, but it's definitely not. Yeah. Um, so right away, I, I will mention that the opening scene, I thought when I'm watching, I thought, this is that test that we talked about in the Wrath of Khan episode. The Kobayashi Maru. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. But then we find out it's actually Kirk's dad, right? And he gets killed yes. while he sends Kirk's mom out to safety. And then she has the, the baby Kirk in the escape pod. Um, one thing I did notice though, right away, and I did actually like, and I made a note of it was the fact that the crew was very diverse in yes. terms of race and gender and age. Yes. And that's something that was very consistent. One of the few things, but it was one thing that was consistent with the original series. It was yeah. one of the things that made the original series stand out from everything else that was on TV at the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you have a in the original series, you have Uhura, who is arguably the fourth highest ranking officer on this spaceship is a woman of color in the late 60s. Like that was revolutionary. Um, I did want to ask you, though. So let's talk about this opening sequence for a minute. OK, yeah. So a couple of quick questions. Did you recognize the actor playing Kirk's dad? Uh, no. Should so I? that was it's Chris Hemsworth. He's now playing Thor in the Marvel properties. Well, so how am I supposed to know who that is? That's that's a new movie. I don't know. Except he was clean shaven. So in Thor, he's got a beard. So I can okay. understand why maybe you didn't recognize him. Although, oh, yeah. come on, those eyes are so dreamy. How do you not <laughs> connect the two? Um, I wouldn't the, I wouldn't know Chris Hemsworth if I backed over with my truck. Jeez. OK, <laughs> um, then the, the the actor who played the captain at the very beginning. Uh, I, I can't remember the character's name, but um, do you remember? Did you recognize him? No. He So you probably last saw him in Iron Man. He was the uh, the villain of the terrorist group that captured Tony Stark, the Ten Rings. He's the one who gets like all the side of his face gets burned. Same actor. I'm sure he's been in many other things, but that that was where I always remember him from. So you had two uh, two of the first actors that uh, you see in the first 10 minutes are uh, both guys who have had some opportunities to uh, participate in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I think uh, moving forward, you're going to be hard pressed to find an actor who does not have a connection to the Marvel Universe. But in any case, well, I, no, I don't know. I don't know much about the Marvel Cinematic yeah. Universe, so, as we know. So. So I want to talk about this opening sequence. Sure, sure, go ahead. One of the very first podcasts that you and Nancy did, one of the very Mm -hmm. first topics was best opening sequence in a movie. Oh, yes, yes. And you had like Raiders of the Lost Ark was, I want to say that was your number one or your number two. Like some movies, their opening sequence is just 
outstanding. It sets the tone. It sets the pace. There's just something about it. Uh, as we've discussed with Raiders many times, Spielberg knows that pacing is important. You have this huge action sequence, this big set pieces, and then you get the opening credits and then the movie slows down and you get the expository and you get the setup and all the rest of that. And, and this movie, in my mind, would make that list. If I was making a list of my favorite opening sequences, this one absolutely makes the list. It's got, um, you know, it's this, this action sequence and it's, but just the way that the, the thing unfolds, like every time I watch it, I sort of, you know, you get a little sniff of the, the thing as he's like, I'm not crying, you're crying. And it's like where he's like, I gonna, he, he, he has to make the ultimate sacrifice. He's been the captain of the ship for 10 minutes and now he has to pilot the ship into, uh, as as a weapon into this alien vessel so that everybody else can get away he sacrifices himself for the lives of his crew and you get the 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 scene is played out as in total jj abrams style where he's got the classical style music and you've got the lens flares and just the way that the shots are done and it's just i think it's it's crafted very well. It's it's definitely a J.J. Abrams style. There's no doubt about that. It's it's crafted well. The the use of music is done well. The dialogue, just the way that the scene is put together, uh, the emotion of it. I love it. I love it so much. And this is one of the reasons that I find this movie is so rewatchable. If I see, like, you know, we're recording this podcast now and we're 10 minutes before the hour. If I saw in the lineup that Star Trek was going to be on at 11, I would be um, putting my TV to that channel right now so that I don't miss the opening 10 minutes. <laughs> you would I think it's fantastic. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, I'm going to watch this and then go to bed. Although probably I'd end up watching the whole movie again. But so many times I've done that. I would, when we did um, Edge of Tomorrow a couple of weeks ago, oh, yeah. I think that was the last one I recommended. Yeah. And one of the things I said was, of all the movies I've recommended that I've had you watch, Edge of Tomorrow was the one that I had rewatched the least. Like I think I had only seen it two or three times before I recommended it to you. Star Trek, this one we're doing right now, is definitely one of the ones I've seen the most. I think I've seen wow. it. If we said 20 times, if 20 was the over and under, the over is a total safe bet on that one. It's probably closer to 25. I, I've I've watched this movie at least three times since Christmas this year alone. It's I love this movie. This, it's, this it's, makes no sense to me. And okay, keep going. Anyway, so, so, is, so you're mentioning the opening sequence and how it's emotional. It's an emotional opening sequence for you. The, Give me a freaking break. This is not an emotional opening sequence. Um, the other week when we talked about foreign films, the, you know, you were talking about Life is Beautiful when Roberto Benigni is like walking off to the gas chambers. That's emotional. That's not this crap. Um, one thing I did notice, um, too, was in this opening sequence that I just it just irked me was the, there's a bald guy and he walks through a doorway and, and there's like these heavy plastic flaps and he has to push his way through. It's like it's like when you when you see the doorway of like a walk in fridge. Right. What the hell happened to those doors that go shh, shh? Like it's it's Star Trek. You you cannot have Star Trek without the doors that go shh, shh. Like you just can't. Well, keep in mind this is twenty five years before the Star Trek that you think you know, because this is the birth of Captain Kirk. The Star Trek you know had Captain Kirk as a fully grown adult, so you could argue that that's a feature that didn't get installed on these ships uh, for twenty more years. Just throwing that out there. Well, yes. And uh, like you mentioned, it's, it's much more updated. So one thing I will say, this, this movie definitely had a much more elaborate engine room than what they had in the original set. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the old show, just say the sets were a little bit more sparse, shall we say. Yeah. Um, Tight, tighter budget. Yeah. Less <laughs> no kidding. Uh, so we see both Kirk and Spock as kids. 
when the movie yes. opens up and Kirk's racing a car across a dusty road and Spock is basically mocked by the other kids for being too smart in school. So basically Kirk is like stroker ace and Spock is Sheldon from the big bang theory. Yeah. That's it's, pretty it's accurate. The way it is. And then this is where things started to irk me a bit. So then Kirk meets, he's grown up or, you know, somewhat. And yeah. he, he meets Uhura in a bar and he hits yes. on her. And then he yes. gets into a bar fight and then he accidentally grabs her chest during the fight. Now that's probably something that would have happened in a Gen X version of Star Trek, you know, um, based on all the movie reviews that we've done of both Gen X and millennial pop cultures over the years and, and, and everything. It, it seems like a Gen X kind of thing, you know, versus a millennial kind of thing. Yeah. So th- this is, it's, it's interesting you bring this up. So my wife, uh, is also a huge Star Trek nerd, probably more of a Star Trek and Star Wars nerd than I am, uh, which is saying something. <laughs> you know, it's it, There's a reason we're married. And uh, so every time I watch this movie, she watches this movie. And so when I told her that I recommended this for the podcast, the first thing she said is, Chris is going to hate this. And then secondly, she said, when do you want to watch it? And I said, well, I got nine days. She goes, well, you know, I'm not going to bed for a few hours. Do you want to watch it right now? And I'm like, well, why don't we watch it a little closer to the day when we record the show? Um, but anyway, when we were watching it again, it's, it's amazing how, as the world changes, your perspective can, can change based on what's happening. So there are a handful of scenes in this movie where the depiction of women is not great in the sense that it's very gratuitous and adds absolutely nothing to the story. And there were a few times where things happen and, and both my wife and I sort of just looked at each other. One time she pointed out, one time I pointed out, it's like, you know, at the time in 2009, you thought, oh, we got to get a little TNA in this movie. But as we're watching it today, we're like, there is no need for So there was that, that scene you just mentioned where during the fight, he's pushed into her and he grabs her breasts. Like, I, I know it was played for laughs. It's a little bit of shock value. And he sort of even makes a face like, hey, again, not necessary and certainly not cool. And then a little bit later when uh, uh, Kirk's making out with the the girl and the then, green girl. Yeah. And yeah. then it turns out that her roommate is Ahura and Ahura comes home and starts undressing. And it's like, again, my wife's like, why is she taking her clothes off? That that has no relevance on this scene like this dialogue could have happened with her fully clothed. There's no reason for this other than just the gratuity of let's show a pretty girl with a with a, a pretty body in next to no clothing for no reason other than to just objectify her. And again, not something that really struck me as a huge problem when I saw it in 2009, but 10 years pass and things you know start to become what they are today. And you're like, how could I have not realized that at the time? And how could the people who have made this movie not realize it at the time? But it's amazing how how things can change for the better. Um, and, and these kinds of things are now seen as problematic. So in any case. All right. A couple of issues. So, sorry. yeah. So so Kirk rides a motorbike to the uh, to the Starfleet. There's no motorbikes in Star Trek. I mean, it's Star Trek. It's not happy days. I, I think uh, you just accept it because you see him in an old school car previously and when he was stealing the car as a little kid by the way did you and you probably didn't did you happen to recognize the voice on the speakerphone who said hey you better bring that car back right away no it was the director himself jj abrams oh well there you go little there's a little easter egg for you wink wink oh nice so so kirk goes to the starfleet and he meets bones and then bones says to him my wife took everything in the divorce the only thing she left me was the bones and I'm thinking, really? Like, this is how he gets his nickname? It should it, be. It had never previously been established. But it should be Bones because he's a doctor. 
Also, I will say I didn't like the actor that played Bones. Really? You no, don't like Keith no. Urban? Keith? No, not Keith no. Urban. Urban's his last name. What the heck's his first name? I don't I'll know. look him up. Kyle Keith. It's a K name. He's Keith, in the Keith boys. Urban, Keith right Urban's now. like the the country Keith singer. Keith Urban's a singer. Was, I knew yeah. as soon as I said it, I'm like, it's not Keith Urban. Um, Carl Urban. I mean, that's got to be it. I'm gonna look it up to make sure though. For me, uh, yeah. for me, it's the, the whole. It's it's just a little too visually appealing. I know that sounds crazy, but for me, it was the minimal minimalism of the original show that made it so good. Like that's what it was all right. And, and so you mentioned Carl, it's sorry. It's Carl. Carl. Yeah. Okay. You're He's on the boys right now on Amazon. The, oh, you the, mentioned the that show. show. Yeah. yeah it's, I like that. And, uh, and he, he plays judge dread in the new newest reboot of the judge dread franchise. Oh, yeah, because why, why not? Amazing. Why not remake a crappy movie from the nineties? All we're at it. Um, you mentioned Kirk was making it with the, the green girl. Yes. On the old show, Kirk made it with everyone. Yes. Basically, but not the green girl. Well, I don't know. I think anything that moved. Captain Pike that did it with the green oh, chick. I think you're right. The no. Menagerie, part one and two. And, um, uh, yeah, like I say, on the old show, he was, I think, I think even one show, he might even been with a girl with like three breasts or something. Like that guy was a player, you know? Yeah. He was an interstellar player. If there was such a thing as space herpes, Kirk has it. Now, you mentioned the, 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 it was a Kobayashi. Kobayashi Maru. Karabi, Kobayashi it's Maru. It's the test. It's the, the no-win situation yeah, that is referenced in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Yeah, it's Wrath of Khan. They talked about it, and this is the test that Kirk cheated on in order yes. to beat the system. And yes. then he goes to this t- tribunal, and was that Tyler Perry? Yes. It was, I, you know, man, that's great. Like, I, I, I just recently read in the news that he just became a billionaire. Really? Just? Yes. I would have thought he was a billionaire long before man, now. Man, oh man, that's crazy. Not, not bad for a guy that started out on, basically, he just toured the country in drag on the Chitlin circuit, and he translated that into a multi-million dollar empire, you know, good for him. I mean. He's an exceptionally talented and successful man. Yeah. I mean, I, I may not enjoy everything he's put out, but he puts out a lot of quality, and he he has a strong, loyal fan base. I he mean, does. He's, yeah, he's and good at what he does. And yeah. like I said, he really he really established that, like, you know, you know, touring the country and, and, and those plays and stuff, but boy, oh boy, he's really, uh, He's really made that into something. And then he gets, I guess he gets to be in a Star Trek movie to boot, you know, looking. Yeah. Um, the actress that played Uhura, she was in the Garden, Guardians, Gar- of, the Guardians of the Galaxy. That's the one the movie you made me watch. I, yep. I recognize Another her. Marvel property. She plays Gamora. Um, so a couple, so I'm going to have questions. She's also in Avatar too. Uh, yes. Yes. The uh, Avatar franchise. That's right. Um, so you mentioned, I'm going to have lots of questions for you and I will. I'm so. Sure the scene where Bones makes Kirk get sick to get him on the Enterprise. Yes. Did he have to sneak him on because Kirk cheated on the test and wasn't supposed to get on the ship? Is that what the deal was there? Yeah, because there, the tribunal hadn't ruled one way or the other. He was uh, on okay. academic probation. Uh, so they get on the Enterprise and they go to the bridge. And just like I mentioned previously with the with the engine room, the bridge was a little bit more elaborate yeah, than it up, was on the old TV from show. The old show, yeah. Jeez, oh, and Captain Pike wasn't he the guy that was on the original pilot episode of the TV show? Yes, he was. But wasn't Pike in a wheelchair? He could only communicate by like blinking a red light, or or am I thinking of something else? Isn't that? No, that's that it, it, again. Based on the original canon, right? The Captain Pike was the first captain of the Enterprise, and then we learn from the old shows in the original timeline that there was this incident, and he ended up being in the wheelchair, um, and he was face was all burned in the um, in the new show Star Trek Discovery, which is on uh, the third season is actually just about to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have introduced Captain Pike as a character because that series takes place before 
the Star Trek Enterprise shows, like the with uh, Captain Kirk, and uh, they've done a really good job of fleshing out that character. And I think that uh, casting of Bruce Greenwood here in this one, he did a great job playing Captain Pike. You know, he's he's the captain of the of the the flagship of the Federation, so he's obviously a, a well decorated, well respected, experienced officer and captain of a spaceship. And I, I thought he, he did a great job with the, the, such, it's such a small part, but he was, I thought he was great casting for that. Well, we see the, the engine room and then we see the bridge and then they go to the medical bay and much like the, the other, the other parts of the set, the medical bay was again, certainly more elaborate than it was on the TV show. I remember the old show, the medical bay was basically a couple of boxy cots with yep. like no medical equipment at all. It, it looks like it was shot inside of a cardboard box or something. Jeez. Um, the guy that played Chekhov in this thing, he really just worked on mimicking Walter Koenig's voice, right? Well, he, he's Russian. Uh, I mean, he was unfortunately, Russian? Anton, Anton Sheldon has, has passed away. He died in an accident uh, a few years ago. But yeah, his, his parents are Russian or he's from Russia. He's got Russian ancestry. And, I, and wow, I, I believe he's fluent. He was fluent in Russian as well. So I thought he was awful for the part. I didn't think he was Russian. I didn't think he looked Russian. I thought he, he looks like he's from Indiana. I'm going to look him up right now, but I'm, I'm positive I read somewhere that he is uh, – he is or he was. I mean, unfortunately, he died in uh, 2016 in a freak accident. Well, at this uh, at this point of the movie, my wife's watching with me and she turns to me and she says, tell Derek he needs to start picking better movies. And then she says, you know, come to think of it, you both have to start picking better <laughs> movies. <laughs> so I got to I got to come up with something better for according to her anyway. Um, so they get in a shuttle and they're going to go to that Romulan ship. And I like yes. the one guy says to Kirk, oh, man, I can't wait to get there. I'm going to kick some Romulan butt. And I'm yeah, thinking, that, again, that didn't really seem that that bothered me. Again, that was one of those lines of dialogue where it like seemed a little racist for what's supposed to be uh, like the whole idea of Star Trek is that human culture has advanced. Right. Like they've they've sort of bettered themselves in the two or three hundred years since today. That to me just didn't feel like it was in keeping with the sort of Star Trek values and really didn't add anything to the story. For well, what, what I thought of when he said that was, I thought, yeah, right, buddy, you're wearing a red shirt Yeah, in the Star Trek world. We all know what that means. And then sure enough, a minute sure later, enough. he gets like sucked into the exhaust and gets burned up because he's wearing yep. a red shirt. So that's what I thought. But, but then it got me thinking and I was thinking, okay, just wait a second here. Did they just parachute down the, the Romulan ship? Like, what the heck was that all about? It's Star Trek, for crying out loud. The whole point is that you get beamed down. Why did they yeah, just they, beam them down? They had already established. They had said, again, you got to listen when you watch these movies. They talk about this stuff. They said the signals are jammed. All communications are jammed. The transporter signals are jammed. They have. To, that's why he had to take a shuttlecraft from his vessel to the other one is because the transporters had been disabled because the other ship was so technologically superior, it could do that. And so that's what they said when they three guys use their parachutes to jump down. They're like, you're going to have to literally go onto that thing and shut it down. And once you shut it down, we should get our signal back and we can transport you home. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they literally say that in the dialogue. <laughs> Just wasn't listening, I guess. Maybe you got up to use the bathroom or were busy playing on your phone. Like, come I on. don't know. Maybe you know, a funny story though. The, the only reason that they ever got beamed down in the original series was just because they didn't have any money in the budget for a shuttlecraft prop. 
Well, and I'd heard Roddenberry even said the same. He's like, I had this ship and everyone thought it was this interesting design. It wasn't like anything we'd seen before. And then in like the third episode, someone goes, how are we going to land this ship when they go to planet X, Y, Z? And he's like, holy crap, I have no idea. Why don't we just say they can teleport? Like, yeah, I love it. That's how they came up with the idea of just yeah. beaming them down places. Yeah. It, it seems like a cool revolutionary idea. It's just because the producers were broke. You yeah, know, like it's crazy, right? Necessity so, is the mother of invention. So you mentioned J.J. Abrams before, yes, and 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 I guess I guess he's a big deal because he's done sequels or reboots or reimaginings or whatever. Well, the hell keep you in call mind them. this would have been two thousand and nine, so this would have been like a year or two after Lost went off the air, right? So he was still carrying a lot of juice. Well, he, he, he did this, the guy. He did this as a reboot, and then he also uh, did this for another franchise, which was Star Wars. Right. So like that's his big thing. Right. He's rebooted two major franchises. But how about something original? Like you mentioned, he's the guy that developed Lost. Come on. Like, I was going to say the Lost most, is one of the most original TV shows to come on in the last 25 years. No question. Something original. No, no question. I agree with you. Lost is one of the most original TV shows in history. So then what the hell is he doing going and just rebooting other stuff? Like, why not come up with something else original? Cashing a paycheck. Come on. Ah, Jesus. I, I I like how Sulu then gets in a sword fight with the Romulan guy and mm-hmm. then pulls Kirk up from the edge of the ship. I just want to say one thing. Takei would never have done that. Oh, my. Like, the, no. But I thought Takei was better. Like, he was awesome. I met him a few years ago at Fan Expo. I got a picture of uh, me and him uh, with my son. Takei is awesome. Oh, my, my, my. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you're doing yourself a disservice. Oh, yeah. The guy he's, he's great. And, and, but the guy from uh, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle played Sulu on this? Nah, not so much. Jonathan Takei. Chu, is that his name? Ah, whatever. Takei so, was better. Joe. So then Sulu and Kirk fall off the Romulan ship and then they get beamed up as they're falling. So now they beam them up. Everything seemed to be working then. Yeah, because they disabled the the beam. That's what they said. It was the the drill thing that was shooting into the planet. That's what was causing the interference. Another thing I don't understand. So Spock and his dad and a few other Vulcans get beamed up before their planet implodes, right? But they can't save the mom, right? Right. Winona Ryder, she bit it. Right. So Spock, though, he says that there were billions of Vulcans on the planet, but only about 10,000 survived. Yes. How did they survive? The planet imploded. How'd they get away? Well, keep in mind, again, if you listen to the dialogue, <laughs> it, the command was such that it was transmit. Now that once they got the radio transmissions back, it was transmit a worldwide uh, evacuation order to everyone on all channels, all frequencies, all languages go. You've got to think on a planet. So the Vulcan obviously have uh, spaceship travel, space travel, warp capability. So they've obviously got some ships. So basically in the two minutes that you had before the, the planet blew up or imploded, some of them managed to get to ships or some of them were already in ships or whatever. Right. It's it's again, they don't really focus on the the non important the people who are not part of the main cast or connected to the main cast. They just sort of again with like you said, they describe in the dialogue. Only X number of people are likely to have survived. So, but we don't need to see that uh, one line of dialogue. That's all I needed to know. They're not completely gone, but they're pretty much completely gone. I guess this is why I have you to explain this. The the Romulan guy, was it Nero? Is that what his name was? Yes. He he puts one of those mind scorpions into Christopher Pike's head, but he puts it in his mouth. I liked it better in Wrath of Khan when they put it in the helmets and they went in their ears. 
Yeah, I think I think that was sort of a little wink wink. There's a lot of like little nods to the previous Star Trek iterations. In my my mind, that was one that was really not necessary, didn't really add a lot. And the fact that they changed the way it worked, other than for a neat visual, I, I didn't really feel it, it added anything. There were other other ways to establish that they were going to uh, torture and interrogate the captain. Uh, then Spock banishes Kirk to basically the planet Hoth. And, that's exactly what I said to my wife. Like, yeah. He's going to Hoth. Yeah, that's what I thought. And he gets chased by that thing. And, and it reminded me of the Demogorgon from Stranger Things. The face uh-huh. on it was yeah. the exact same. And maybe that's what killed Winona Ryder. Who knows? Um, so then, then the thing is, Leonard Nimoy shows up. And I'm like, what? What? What the hell is going on? He He's from the future. And then he says he's telling this story that he's like, there's a supernova and he had to get this red matter and inject it into the supernova. What the living hell was going on at this point in the movie? So I don't understand. So old Spock watches while the planet Vulcan implodes, even though he was young Spock when it happened. I was just majorly confused at this point. So this this is basically the the section of dialogue in the movie where they try to explain how they can do new movies with Captain Kirk that doesn't erase all of the Captain Kirk history you already know. So essentially what they what they to dumb it down and to simplify it as much as I can in the future of the if we take the original storylines from the original Star Trek TV series, the next generation TV series, the original movies, the next generation movies. Let's assume those are all official Star Trek canon. And as far as anyone is concerned, they are to this day still official Star Trek canon. The They didn't necessarily want to just do what Star Wars did and said anything that's after this, we're just erasing. We're going to we we're just giving it a total reboot. Forget it happened because it, it annoyed a lot of the fans. Um, so they tried to work it into the story and they basically said – in Spock's, uh, in the original Spock, in his distant past, like in his as an older man, um, he becomes an ambassador, which they established in the Next Generation TV shows, and he was the Earth ambassador on on Vulcan, and he, as this older man, once he realized there was this environmental disaster that was going, this uh, supernova that was going to destroy the planet, he took advantage of technology that they had at their disposal to try and stop it. Unfortunately. It what didn't work the way they expected, and it created this this black hole, this this hole in space, this lightning storm in space, which turned out to be like a time portal. Hey, you go through it and you show up somewhere in the past, and so that is now establishing that once that happened and Nero's ship showed up so far in the past, everything from that point forward potentially is now a new timeline, including the the death of Captain Kirk's father and all of that stuff. Because if that ship had never come back through time through that portal. Captain Kirk's dad should never have died because in the original series, they sort of established that the, that his dad died on Earth and rah, rah, rah. So this was the way that the storytellers were saying, we're going to do a little time travel thing. And that way we can tell this sort of new yet parallel story, which can draw on some of the things you are already familiar with from the old series. But they're going to play out a little differently because there's been this little time travel wrinkle somewhere in the past. And suddenly causality is that there are changes along the way. So you have old Spock is gone back in time. Think of it like uh, in Back to the Future, right? You have the old Biff, young Biff kind of dealio. So you have old Spock who's come back in time and he is now on this sort of new timeline that is because events are being changed by the the actions of Nero and all the actions that are taken to stop Nero. 
Um, and so when Captain Kirk, young Captain, well, not Captain yet, when young Kirk finds old Spock, old Spock sort of does this info dump. Here's a five minute explanation of what's going on. So that if you're a super duper Star Trek nerd, you're not going, oh, this isn't the way things work. It's like, no, we acknowledge that. And this is why it didn't work that way. And now we're free to do whatever we want. And you can't bitch anymore and say, that's not how Star Trek was when I knew it. It's like, no, we fully acknowledge it. And we're just going to move on with it. And as I think I said, with some of the other time travel type movies, there's two ways to handle it. You either use one line of dialogue and they make no effort to explain it, or you spend five minutes of dialogue and you try and come up with some sort of rationalization, explain the rules. In this case, they went with the rationalization and the explaining the rules or tried to. I got to say this, man. I like Star Trek a hell of a lot better when there wasn't all these time travel rules and this weird time space continuum bending head messing crap that's going on here. So I don't know. That's just my take. So I think there's a rule in Hollywood, it almost seems, that any science fiction movie that comes out now and that you remake has to, you got to put Simon Pegg in it, apparently. Yeah. You know, because he was in The Force Awakens, too. So you got old Spock, but then you got young Kirk and young Scotty all hanging out. I just didn't understand it. And the other thing was, Scotty talks way too much. James Dewan never rambled on and on like this. And, and I don't know, and the whole Nimoy thing felt like it was just contrived. And then when Scotty gets beamed inside that water tank and he's going through the pipes, he was in there way too long, man. He would have drowned. Yeah, I was counting it. It was like 58 seconds because I thought that, too. I'm like, he let's see how long he's in there. Assuming he knew enough to hold his breath before he got beamed, which I don't know. But in any case, and then then Spock sees Kirk and Scotty and he's like, who are you guys? So he doesn't know them like I No, no, he doesn't. He just sees two people on the monitor and says, whoever they are, bring them here. And then once he sees them, he knows who's, who Kirk is. He has no idea who Scotty is. Why would he? And, and then Spock is flying that spaceship around and shooting at the Romulans. It just, just seemed dumb. And, and then and then what the hell? Young Spock meets old Spock. Isn't there some sort of science fiction rule against that? Like this movie just sucked. Well, they they talk about that where he's like. He goes, oh, well, you know, if you, why didn't you just as old Spock come to me as young Spock and explain it? And he said, I, I knew it was more important that you came to these conclusions on your own and that you ended up becoming friends with Captain Kirk. And he goes, uh, how did you convince Kirk to keep your secret? And he goes, well, Kirk sort of basically said what you just said. Oh, if old Spock and new Spock find out about each other, it could end the world. There could be an explosion and the world's colliding and all that. And so he said, he goes, I didn't correct that assumption. I just sort of leaned into it a little bit. So again, they sort of acknowledge that for, for in many cases, sci-fi movies talk about how, Oh, well, you know, you can't do it this way. They're, they're trying to recognize the faults that you can have with a time travel story and, and either make fun of them or acknowledge them or give you a little wink, wink about them. Was this movie like well-received? Like, I mean, in terms of exceptionally well-received in terms of the box office. Oh, it did gangbusters. It did well. But you know, if you take a look at, the domestic box office for 2009. What the living hell happened that year? Like you just, tons of movies made money. There's like 32 films made over a hundred million dollars at the U S box office that year. The hell was going on? Star Trek made $257 million at the, the box office and only finished seventh. Yeah. That domestically. I'm yeah. Sure it did well, again, like you mentioned previously, one of the things Star Trek has always been good at is having a, a more diverse cast uh, and crew. And so by having that uh, racial diversity in their core group, 
it makes it a lot easier to sell some of these movies overseas and in foreign countries when you can say like, hey, there is an Asian man who is one of the people on the bridge. There is a woman of color who is one of the people on the bridge. I mean, that that certainly goes a long way to um, selling the movie internationally. And I'm sure that if we looked at international box office, it probably did better than seventh. Like, but I mean, the, the movie made a ton of money, but like, did people actually like it? I mean, movies can make money and still suck. Oh, no. And have it, people hate people them, like <clears throat> The Phantom Menace. Um, like, was it a critical success, do you know? Yes, absolutely. I, like, you are the total exception to this because you no. were part of their core target demographic. They wanted you to come in, see it, love it, buy the DVD, tell people how much you loved it, and then come to parts. They've made two more sequels in this franchise. Um this the, I, I've only seen the sequels a couple of times just because they are newer and they don't repeat them on television nearly as much as the original. Um, but yeah, they they they've done very well. And I want to say they're working on a fourth one now or there's a fourth one in development. I mean, they're making so much they're making enough money and they're being well enough received that they're continuing to make more movies in this franchise with these characters, with these actors in these roles. And uh, yeah, it's doing well. So let me ask you about the casting. Yeah. So. It sounds like you didn't think Simon Pegg was the right the right person to cast in this in in the role of Scotty. Nope. Or you didn't like the way he portrayed it. Nope. I didn't like. What the about guy the that, other roles? No, nope, I didn't like, like the guy that played uh, Chekhov either. He was terrible. What about Kirk? Kirk was no. I did not like him. No. Okay. No. What about Spock? Spock was the only one that was like borderline, not bad. Wow. That guy okay. was pretty good. All right. And Uhura, I guess, again, no. she never really had a no. lot of screen time in the original. So yeah. you wanted to cast somebody that people recognize so that you could give her more to do. Not that she's, they really gave her a lot more to that, do. But. That girl, like, I mean, she's a pretty girl and stuff. That's not Uhura. Nichelle Nichols is Uhura. That's all there is to it. Okay, fair enough. No, fair I didn't enough. really like the casting. And then the, at the very, very end, um, they, you know, speaking of the casting, they bring Nimoy back in. And he does the narration for the the outro, right? Yes. He, he says, to boldly go where no man has gone before. I'll tell you where, what. No, he says where no one has where gone Where no one before. has gone Something before. Something they changed right, in, the, I think, the late 80s, early 90s. Well, I'll tell you what. Watching this crappy thing, I, I had to boldly go where no one should ever go again. You know, so. Now, did you like that once the credits started to roll, they did the original theme? Yeah, I did notice that. I did know. I did notice that. But I will say, um, overall, not only did I not like the movie, I I actually I hated it. Wow. Yeah, I I really disliked it. So that's just me. Wow. That's I mean, that doesn't surprise me. (laughs) I learned to never be surprised when you don't like good movies. But I think this movie's great. I can't wait. I'm going to watch it. I'd like now that I've just rewatched it for this. I can't wait to go back and watch the 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 two sequels that came after because I don't really remember them very well and then I'm sure this will be on TV again in the next month and I'm going to watch it then too no, I, I love this movie I think yeah. it's great well, I, I think it's a great what... way to reboot a franchise I think the cast is fantastic I like everybody they've put in the big roles I I was very disappointed when Anton Yelchin died because I thought he was so perfectly cast as the young Chekhov you know let's not make him a, a joke let's not make him look like he's a monkey's reject let's uh, let's actually you know di- dig into this character that um, is supposed to be a young up and coming superstar. And it's like both in character and as an actor. And unfortunately real life, sometimes there are accidents and, and 
you know, in this case, this young actor died uh, way too early and unfortunately is no longer in these franchise in this franchise. But I, I think the rest of the roles were cast perfectly. I loved it. And, and like I mentioned, I had my my sons and I went back and watched an old episode. We watched the the con episode before yes. we, before we reviewed yes, uh, Star yes. Trek to Wrath of Khan. And I will say, like, overall, like the original series is kind of lame, you know, it just kinda, but that's kind of the kitschy, you know, yeah. appeal of it, too. And this is just so overblown and action-packed. It just, it just, it's not really Star Trek so for me. But again, you know, I have also have not experienced that the transition of Star Trek over the years because, like I say, I never watched, you know, the Next Generation or you know, Deep Space Nine or whatever the hell they are. I just never watched any of them, so I don't know. So maybe that's just where I'm coming from. But no, nah, I did not like it at all. Sorry. That's uh. That's on you, man. It's great. You know, I don't that's the way things work around it, here. But, yep. No, it's uh, it that's came the, out. Uh, yep. It came out after 1989. Yep. So you were predisposed to not liking it. It was a reboot. You were predisposed to not liking it. I recommended it. So you were predisposed to not liking it. So <laughs> it's not I shouldn't be surprised. Now, give it a score out of 10. Uh, two. Wow. Yeah. It was worse than the Mighty Ducks. Last week I gave Mighty Ducks three. Wow. That's yep. craziness. I, I would know. give this a solid eight. Maybe. I would say eight. Eight's good for me. Yeah. It's good. It's strong. It's not perfect, but uh, it has a lot of rewatchability in my mind. I've watched it a bunch of times. I would be happy to recommend it to other people. I'd be happy to rewatch it. There's a, in my mind, there's a lot going for this movie. So I like it a lot. I think the only way you can get me to rewatch this is with a wheelbarrow, a roll of duct tape and an ether rag. Yeah, but if I make you breathe ether rag, you're going to miss everything after the first 10 minutes. <laughs> I would have no problem with that whatsoever. All right. On that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. All right, bud. So you're you're a big Trekkie. You've mentioned that you are going to kill trivia this week. All I right? hope so. As long as you don't ask me, like, what actor played the blah, blah. I'm terrible when it comes to doing the names of actors. I could say, like, oh, that was blah, blah, blah character, but... Anyway, go on. Let's see how much you know about Star Trek. Okay? So here goes. There's been 13 Star Trek movies over the years. Yep. And if we're just basing it on domestic U.S. grosses, what was the highest grossing Star Trek movie of all of them? Wow. I got to think it was the one we just did because it's the newest. The The ticket costs were the most. So I, I would think it was the new one. Would you say it was $265 million? You are correct. Star Trek from 2009 is the highest grossing Star Trek movie of all time. Yeah, I, I listen. I listen. All right. So speaking of the, deba- of the domestic box office, which film grossed more at the U.S. domestic box office? Star Trek The Motion Picture or Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan? Oh, it got to be The Wrath of Khan. No, actually, no, Star Trek no, The Motion not, Picture. Yeah. Star Trek The yeah. Motion Picture grossed $82 million to $78 million. Yeah, it was close. It was close. Yeah. Star Trek two really found its legs on cable and on video. Yeah, right. You're right. Yeah. What was the first Star Trek movie to be nominated for an Oscar? Well, it would have been either a nomination for makeup, special effects, editing. Got to think probably makeup. So let's say... Star Trek five. It was Star Trek, the motion picture. The very first one was nominated for best visual effects in 79, but it lost to alien. Okay. All right. In Gene Roddenberry's original script for the TV series, what was the name of the starship? It wasn't enterprise. No, Uh, no, it was not. It was. Wow. I, 
Geez, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, he wow, maybe he called it um, something after one of their. Maybe called it the Apollo. It was called the Yorktown. Yorktown. Mm-hmm. I know he was like a big on like using names from old battleships and stuff. So yeah. that's why I was thinking like the the Apollo missions. But okay. okay, so so the USS Enterprise was the name they obviously finally settled on for the starship. But what does USS stand for, Derek? Um, oh, that's, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on this. It's the USS is the, wow, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. USS Enterprise is, I don't know. I honestly can't, can't think of it. It's the United Spaceship. Okay. See, I had no, I had no idea. All right. So here's an easy one that we, we all know. I even know this one. What's the hull number of the USS Enterprise? NCC-1701. Very good. Congratulations. And then in the movies, they did A, B, C, D, and E. Oh, so I got a follow-up question for you, though. Yep. What What does NCC stand for? Oh, my God. Uh, I don't know. Naval Construction Contract. Wow. Did not know oh. that. But I did... And I think this was a trivia question I had for you on a previous show was in the um, Star Trek parody movie Galaxy Quest. Mm -hmm. uh, Sigourney Weaver and Tim Allen. Yep. Their ship was called um, NTS blah, 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 whatever. And the NT or NT. N-T-E, N-T-E was it, because it was stood for not the Enterprise, ah. was the little <laughs> Easter egg there, so anyway. Oh, okay, Sulu, we mentioned him a couple times tonight. What was Sulu's position on the bridge of the Enterprise? Well, he pilots a ship, so I would say he's either the pilot or maybe the navigator. He was the chief helmsman. Helmsman, that's yeah. the term I'm looking for. All right, here's one. Pilot is right, but that's not the term you were looking for, mm-hmm. so half marks on that one. All right, what actor... From the original TV series, lost his right middle finger in World War II. Probably James Duhon. You are correct. He was on Juno Beach on D Day. Yeah, he, I knew. I knew he, he was, was a Canadian man. too, eh? I seem to recall that as well. Yes, yes. and he and fought. I believe when he died, they took his ashes to the International Space Station, and I don't know if they're still yes. there or if they jettisoned them into space, but. Duhan's remains no. went into space. But he was he was on D-Day, and he, and he wasn't on Omaha Beach because he was Kenny. He was on Juno Beach. God, I love that guy. By the way, he also took a bullet in the chest on D-Day, but it was stopped by a cigarette case that was wow. in his pocket that his brother gave him. It saved his life. Mm. Anyway. Um, okay. We saw Uhura played by Zoe Zaldana in this movie. And as I mentioned, Uhura will always be Nichelle Nichols. Uh, but what was Uhura's first name? Uh, well, that was the whole joke in this movie is that he never found out it was, or he found out and then it was, uh, I don't know. It was like Shuri, I think. No, it's, that was the Black Panther. Sorry. I'm getting my movie franchise okay. mixed up. It's Niota, which is the Swahili word for star. Oh, there okay. you go. Now, was that, orig- is that canon? Is that from the yep. original series? Yep. That's right from okay. the, the original one. Okay. Kate Mulgrew. Who we yes. we mentioned in our in our review of uh, Remo Williams, the yep. adventure begins. She played Captain Janeway. She sure did on Star six Trek seasons Voyager. on Star Trek yep. Enterprise and appeared in one of the movies too. Uh, so she was wasn't it Voyager that she was? Oh on? yeah, what did yeah. I say? Enterprise. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's Star Trek Voyager, Captain Janeway, yeah. and then 
Yeah, then she appeared in one of the movies later as a little bit part. Right. Of so she played Captain Janeway. You know, yes. it was an iconic role for her, right? I yes. guess. But what French-Canadian actress was originally oh. cast in the role but yeah. quit after a day and a half of shooting the pilot? I heard she got fired. Um, she quit. I want to say, I know this is wrong. I want to say Juliette Binoche. I know it's a French-Canadian actress. I can't think of her name, though. I don't know. It's Genevieve Boujol. Yeah, I would have never come up with that. She was right. I can picture her, though. I can picture yeah. her in my head. because I remember You remember her? Like, like, she was in, like, Coma and Tightrope and Dead Ringers, movies like that. Okay. What original TV series Star Trek actor appeared in the pilot episode of Star Trek The Next Generation? Uh, was the doctor. It was DeForest Kelly. Very good. Yes, it was DeForest Kelly. Good. All right. We mentioned uh, uh, Walter Koenig earlier played Chekhov and that other yep. guy. What was Chekhov's first name? Ooh. Anton. Ooh, that's a good guess, but no, it's it's Pavel. Oh, sorry, the Pavel. actor's name. The was actor's Anton. name was Anton. Yes, Pavel Chek- Chekhov, Pavel. I'm yes. going to end you on an easy one here, okay? These have all seemed to have been pretty easy, and I've just screwed up a lot. Of you think okay. I was drinking, but I'm not. That's okay. In the 1970s, as I mentioned, um, a line of Star Trek action figures came out featuring the cloth yep. uniforms and the baby yep. blue accessories. You know, yep. they had like little phasers and communicators and tricorders. Yep. Uh, what's the name of the toy company that put out this line of Star Trek dolls? It was Amigo, uh, wasn't it? Yes, it was Mego. Yes, congratulations. I've heard it pronounced both ways. Yeah, that's, that's all good. We'll accept it. So, so not that. So, I, I thought as a Trekkie, you would kill tonight's trivia, but you didn't do so good. No, you no, really struggled so with it. I was a little yeah. surprised. So, yeah. Um, so next week, Derek, we're going to do a top five list. Uh, so we'll be back with a topic for our next show. But uh, in the meantime, if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, you'll find uh, Derek at Amaron underscore DM, and you'll find me at C McBrien. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, popgoesyourworld.com is our website where you'll find all of our contact information. Until next episode, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 